good to be with you all tonight. Um, we're continuing along in our series on uh, questions. Uh, next time we gather together, we'll be back in the Gospel of John. Um, but we're, we're continuing along with our question series, and the question we're answering tonight um, that was asked is, what is baptism? What is baptism? And, and for some of us, that seems like uh, an obvious question, obvious answer, um, but I think there's, there's more to it. So um, I just want to uh, pray and then uh, jump right into it. God, we give you thanks for this evening. We pray that um, you would open our eyes to your word. Uh, as brief as this time may be, God, I pray that you would show us wonderful things. Um, God, take, let your word take root in our lives. Let it bring forth fruit um, just as you intend it to do. And so we open ourselves uh, to you, our authoritative God, who gives us an authoritative word. We praise you and we hear from you now in Christ's name. Amen. I'm sure we're all familiar with the expression, you're making a mountain out of a molehill, right? And, and that phrase is typically used when, when somebody is making this hyped up, huge, dramatic deal, a mountain, out of something that isn't really all that significant in the first place, not all really that important. It, it's not a big deal. It's really just a molehill, right? Uh, you know, it, what comes to mind when I think about this is, is when I'm inside in my office uh, at home or on the couch, and I hear this scream from one of my kids that makes my hair stand on end, right? And my, and my spine tingles, and I've legitimately, I, I've thought one of the kids has lost a limb, right? And I'm expecting to go out and see a bloodbath somewhere. And, and they come running in, and, and they, are, they are just overwhelmed. And I say, tell me what's wrong. And, and, and finally, we get them calmed down enough to show us the boo-boo, even though we can't see the boo-boo, right? They've made a mountain out of a molehill, and then they've got to have a Band-Aid, and you've got to figure out where to put the Band-Aid so you just kind of slap it on and hope it's near where the actual boo-boo is, right? They make a mountain out of a molehill. I think I also do this when I see spiders in my home. I scream, and it's as if there is this sci-fi creature about to consume my entire family that may be making a mountain out of a molehill. I'm not ready to concede that yet. Making something big that's not really all that big. And I, but I think we can also, uh, often do the opposite. We can make a molehill out of something that's actually a mountain, right? Uh, think with, if you're married, think with me, if you will, back to your pre-wedding days. Your spouse was telling you, toeing the line, telling you they couldn't wait to spend the rest of their life with you. You're preparing for the wedding. They're, your spouse is talking about all the details, and you stop them, and you go, hold on, look. Really excited about spending all the rest of my days with you, but I'm out on our wedding day. Really, what's the big deal about one day? I'm going to show my commitment to you for the rest of our lives, day after day. We don't need that one day, right? Uh, 
Look at how people just spend excessively on their weddings. We don't want any part of that. And so to avoid even being caught up in that excessive, just going overboard celebrating this, we're just not going to do anything. Or uh, people are just completely missing the point of marriage. They don't even understand what marriage is all about. So we're not going to feed into their lies by, by going through with this wedding celebration. Let's just avoid it. We'll just show our commitment in the day to day. And I think I can speak for the women in the room and say, that's not going to fly. I can speak for my wife and say, that wasn't going to fly if I ever said that. But I, I think most of us that are, that are reasonable, even if we're not big fans of, of huge celebrations, we see the value of making, of making some commitment, uh, confirming some sort of covenant with each other. And I'd like to suggest to us tonight that baptism has similarly been marginalized as of little, important, little importance in the church. Perhaps because some have wrongly defined it, they've wrongly used it, they've, they've maybe applied it wrongly to a, a, a group of people, um, maybe because uh, people go over, overboard and excessive in, in, in defining what it means, but because of that, Many of us just look at baptism as one of those things. Huh, it happens. But I think we cheat ourselves and we, breathe, we cheat our brothers and sisters in Christ when, when baptism just kind of becomes this molehill. Because actually, if we look at what baptism is, baptism is a huge, towering mountain. And we should be clear on that. That that's what baptism is. In scripture. And so I want to look at several things as, as, as scripture defines it and, and just come to terms with this mountain that is baptism. And I'd like to suggest, first of all, that baptism is the sign of identification and union with Christ in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. It's the sign of union with Christ. And this is one of those doctrines that is really, you could say, what's, tell me what Christianity is all about. It's about union with Christ. It's, it's, it's the most, one of the most significant truths, doctrines from Scripture that we can talk about. And union with Christ is the fact that, that God no longer sees us in and of ourselves. He only sees us as we relate to Christ. So he doesn't see our, our day-to-day filth. He doesn't see our day-to-day sin. When he looks at us, if, if we are in Christ, he sees Christ and his righteousness. It's almost this filter through which he sees us, the Christ filter. And baptism is a sign of that. Scripture gives us a lot of pictures um, to understand this doctrine of union with Christ. And one of them is marriage, right? Paul talks in Ephesians 5 about marriage. He says, uh, the two shall become one flesh. Husbands, serve your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Submit to them, right? And then what does he say? I'm saying this refers to Christ and the church, to becoming one, the people of God taking on the identity of Christ, our, bride, our, our bridegroom, our husband. There's also an, another illustration Jesus uses in John 15, the vine and the branches, uh, the trunk of a tree and branches that come out of it. You go out in your yard, you see a branch on the tree, what is it? It's dead. It's lifeless. It doesn't exist on its own. It can only exist when it's attached to the trunk, to the vine. It has to be attached. It has to be united to the trunk. 
to the tree. And then uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives us this, this image of the head and the rest of the body, right? You can't have uh, the rest of a body without a head. You have to have the head, and, and then all the other parts are attached to that. Uh, when, uh, when I was in college, I think it was in 19, uh, I don't even remember what year it was. It was like my sophomore year of college, downtown Minneapolis, in, in about February, my friend and I were walking towards downtown. The, there was this big snowstorm the week before. It was just beginning to melt. And there in the snow, we saw a finger. Not a body, a finger. That finger was now dead, lifeless, useless. Why? Because it wasn't attached to a body. It had to be united to a body for it to have any sort of life. And we don't have life in ourselves apart from Christ Jesus. And baptism is a sign of our union with, our grafting in, our marriage to, our being a part of the body of Christ. And this idea of union eliminates ever truly talking about one without the other, right? You can't talk about me now without talking about my wife. We're, we're inextricably linked. That's what baptism shows, that we're inextricably linked with Christ. Baptism is meant to be a, a visible portrayal of that union we have with Christ. And we see this in Romans chapter 6. If you have your scriptures, you can turn there with me. Um, Romans chapter 6, we'll look at the first four verses. Here's what Paul says in those verses. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know? And, and just to be clear, he's asking a rhetorical question. Yes, they should know. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, notice, notice the direction of baptism, were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him, how? By baptism, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 3 says that we were baptized into Christ Jesus, and therefore we were baptized into his death. This isn't something we're doing in baptism. This isn't something I'm doing. It's something that's already been done. Thousands of years ago, Christ objectively died. Christ objectively was buried. Well, how, how, is this, uh, how does this relate to me? Well, by baptism, I'm united to that. God the Father, by the Spirit, unites me to that work of the Son, the son that happened thousands of years ago, and, the, and that is now mine. It's as if I was there in that moment being crucified and being buried. Baptism is a sign of union with Christ. Look at verse 4. Christ was raised to new life so that we too might walk in newness of life. Because God by His Spirit has joined us to Christ, we too can walk in newness of life. Baptism is a sign of our union with Christ. No longer are you seen in and of yourself. You're seen through the filter, through the lens, through the person of Christ. That's what baptism is about. And if it, and if it stopped there, that would be big enough to make a huge deal about. That would be big enough to celebrate 
for weeks on end about. But the scriptures go on. Baptism is also a sign of faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Now, faith and repentance are, are different, but they're inseparable. They they're kind of take a coin out. They're two sides of the same coin, right? Um, and, and you look at, at Romans, and you look at James, and you look at Hebrews, and you get all these ideas about faith. What is faith? Uh, faith is, is uh, let's boil it down, it's simply this. One, it understands some content of what God has revealed about himself to us in Christ Jesus, right? It understands, I understand that Jesus is the Son of God. He came to live on earth. He lived this perfect life. He died a death he didn't really deserve because he lived a perfect life. He, uh, he was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. He did that for me, right? Faith has, at its core, some knowledge of what God has revealed to us about Jesus. But there's lots of people out there you could go to Destiny right now, find some people, go to a restaurant, interview them. They, they understand that, but they don't believe that. Because faith takes the next step, and it says, I understand that, and I believe it to be true. It's not, as, as some people might say, that's a parable, that's a myth, that's a fairy tale. It's just like a comic in today's paper. No, faith understands it, and then faith says, nope. I also accept it to be true. But then faith takes one further step, and it says, I, I not only understand it, and I not only be, believe it to be true, but now I trust it. I trust God and Christ with my life and in my death, soul and body. Right? Like, I understand that there are things called elevators. I understand, uh, you know, I, I agree with the concept that they go up and down from floor to floor. I trust myself getting into one. I understand that there are, there are parachutes. I understand, I agree that they work. They open up, you don't hit the ground. I do not trust my life with a, bear, uh, a, a parachute. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith then trusts its life with something. Repentance on the, other, on the other side of that. Repentance is misunderstood because it's not merely feeling badly about the, the mess that sin has gotten you into. It's not merely regret. It's a sorrow that understands, um, that, that causes us to turn from things that have taken a place in our life reserved for only God. Whether that be our mind, our heart, our affections, our will, it, it, we feel a sorrow that those things have taken the place reserved for only God. And it's not just a heart change, it's then a change in our direction. We begin to go the other way. Right? And this is the freedom we have in Christ, to embrace this gracious, beautiful Savior and to let go of everything else that is, in, that is keeping us in bondage and slavery, letting go of everything else that will only in the end destroy us. Faith and repentance is really a form of, of freedom. And this is what baptism uh, points to. Baptism points to faith and repentance. And I want to show us that this rises out of Scripture. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, this is uh, the, the feast of Pentecost, and Peter is preaching to a huge crowd, thousands of people. And he's, he, basically the content of his message is who Jesus is. And he sums up his message in verse 36. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. Now listen to how the crowd responds. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What did he say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Not repent, not repent and believe. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if somebody's coming to me and say, how, how can I be saved? I'm going to give them the essentials, right? And Paul says, or Peter says, repent, be baptized. It gets to the core of the message. So, verse 41, this is what happens. So, those who received his word, those who accepted it, those who believed in it, were baptized. Those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It seems that uh, Peter thinks, at least in his mind, when, when people are, are begging him to know what must we do to be saved, repent and be baptized. Baptism is a sign inseparable from repentance. Let's look at the other side of that coin, faith, trust, belief. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 12. Philip the evangelist has been pushed out of Jerusalem because of persecution that's going on, and here's what happens. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Notice what happens when they believed what was preached about Jesus. But when they believed what? What happened? But when they believed, they were baptized. Luke is giving us this, this descriptive notion that, that baptism and faith, trust, are inseparable, just as repentance and baptism are inseparable. Baptism is to accompany these things as God has appointed it as the mark of true faith and repentance. Now, in the church, we've, we've, um, we've substituted other things that, that uh, kind of go in the place of or, or have tried to replace faith and repentance um, in some churches, it's walking down the aisle, coming forward, saying, I'm repenting. I'm turning my life over to Jesus. For some, it's while the eyes are closed and, and uh, the heads are bowed, we slip up our hand. We could debate the goodness or badness of that, but the biblical mark of true faith and repentance, as declared by the book of Acts, is baptism. That's when you're marked, that's when you declare that faith and repentance have have taken their rightful place in your life. 
Baptism is a sign of faith and repentance. One commentator said that baptism without repentance is futile. What's the point? But repentance without baptism is inconceivable. How, how could that possibly be? How could you have repentance without baptism? They go together. You know, like peanut butter and jelly, right? Love and marriage, they, they go together. You can't have one without the other. So baptism is a sign of, of union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is a sign of faith and repentance. Thirdly, baptism is a sign of, of being washed clean, of having been forgiven. Paul gives us this account from his own words in Acts chapter 22. If you would, turn there with me. In Acts 22, Paul is talking to uh, a crowd in Jerusalem and uh, giving his grace story as it were, uh, kind of giving his testimony, how God grabbed a hold of his life. And here's what he says in verse 12 of chapter 22. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul was commanded to be baptized to show that, that the cleansing of sin, the cleansing of his sin had occurred. And we see this throughout the epistles that baptism is equated to a washing to a cleansing that takes place. When we consider the magnitude of our sin, the greatness of our guilt, that none of us could stand if God were to charge us with the sin that is rightfully ours, then this is a mountainous declaration that we make in baptism. I, when we get into the waters of baptism, we declare, I, me, sinful me, I have been forgiven. I have been washed clean. You know my life. You know everything about me. How I have been cleansed. I have been washed clean. That's a mountainous declaration. That's no little thing. Baptism is a sign that we have been forgiven and washed clean. But there's one other thing that, that we need to see in the New Testament in order to understand um, this mountain that is baptism because we stop short from the top of this mountain if, if we stop there. Because finally, baptism is a sign of inclusion into Christ's body, the church. Let's be clear that baptism is not a me and God issue. It's not a, a vertical issue. This is a, a moment between me and God only. Baptism is the sign of inclusion into Christ's body, the church. Through baptism, a person is added to this, this spirit-produced community called the church, and thus they, they begin to devote themselves to the word, to prayer, to the teaching of the church. Look at, back at Acts chapter 2 with me, that, that sermon that, that Peter was preaching. The people respond in baptism, right? Look again at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread 
and the prayers. They devoted themselves to that. Those who were added, those who were baptized. Baptism is never this experience that ends at that moment and ends, terminates on you. It ushers you into a new community. We talked about baptism being a sign of, of union with Christ. Baptism is a sign of union with his body, the church. So please cleanse your mind of any idea that, that it's just you and God. What we see described here in Acts, um, Paul lays out uh, more prescriptively in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, turn there. Paul talks about uh, the body and what baptism means for the body. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. What happens in baptism? We're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There's a, a community being formed through the waters of baptism. And so what, what we see when we begin to skim over Scripture and we begin to look at what the fullness of what baptism is, is that baptism is the sign by which uh, God unites us and, uh, and identifies with us and visibly unites us to the to the person and work and family of Jesus through faith and repentance. And far from being this, this molehill, this thing that's ah, it's really not all that important, baptism is this glorious mountain because really when we look back at what we just talked about, baptism encapsulates the gospel. Baptism is a sign of the source of our salvation, the person, Jesus Christ, the freedom that we have in salvation through faith and repentance, the cleansing and forgiveness we have in salvation, and the community created by salvation. That's the gospel. Far from being unimportant, baptism is this mountain because baptism really is just all about the gospel. It, it centers around the gospel and it proclaims the gospel. And when we minimize that, what we're doing is we're minimizing the gospel itself. Who is baptism for? I'm not going to talk uh, too much about this and, and get into uh, you know, the, the infant baptism debate versus believer's baptism debate. Um, I'll send out an article. I'll put it on the city. If you're interested in that, love for you to read that. But I just want to simply turn to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, words we're all familiar with, but if we think through them, they really are profound for talking, uh, thinking through who is baptism for. Jesus, and Jesus came and said to them in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's one command in, in those verses. Make disciples. What do we then do while we're making disciples? We baptize them 
Who do we baptize? We baptize disciples. We teach them. We teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. Baptism is for disciples alone, those who can respond, those who can respond to teaching and respond in obedience. How do we, you know, so maybe some of you are sitting here and thinking, okay, so what's the process to go through for baptism? I, I believe I've trusted in Christ. I, I believe I've repented. I've turned from, from sin. I've let go of things that, that, uh, that have affected my heart and mind in a way that only God should. Here's the deal. If you want to present yourself for baptism, we would love to talk with you to, to help you clarify what it is you've trusted in and what it is you're turning from, right? Because the culture and even the church is filled with all sorts of crazy understandings about ourselves, our lives, about Jesus, about the nature of salvation and the church. And there will be some who ultimately take the sign of baptism and, and, and they're deceiving themselves. We can't guard against that. But the nature of salvation and the nature of church demands that, that the leadership here takes seriously this call to baptize disciples. So, so contact, contact a leader, contact an elder, and, and let them tease out with you what it is that you're trusting in, who it is that you're trusting in, what it is that you're turning from. Are you letting everything go? We need to be clear on what's happening in this sign, in this initiation, because God appointed baptism to show the source of our salvation, the freedom of our salvation, the cleansing and forgiveness in the community created by salvation. Let me just talk for a moment about uh, the means, uh, the mode of baptism, how we actually baptize someone. Uh, the church has sometimes made a huge deal about this. It's just kind of simple. Normatively, regularly, the, the means is to just take a person and submerge them under the water. Why do we do that? Well, for one thing, it shows uh, kind of the picture of death. Death to an old way of life, rising up out of the water to a new way of life. The waters of judgment flood. Typically, people in the ancient world weren't swimmers, and so to go under the water meant almost certain death. It's a picture of a grave, and it's a picture of resurrection. When, when, uh, when John and Jesus were baptizing in the Gospel of John, we were told that they were baptizing in this place because there was much water there. Uh, when Jesus was baptized, and when Philip baptized an Ethiopian guy in Acts 8, it says they came up out of the water. And so we believe that the, the regular way to, to carry out baptism, the normative way in most situations, is to submerge them underwater. But, but back to the nature of baptism. Let's be clear about this. Baptism is not something that saves you. You will not be saved because you get into some sort of tank, into a river, into a lake, and go under the water. Apart from faith and repentance, it is empty. It is an empty act that is meaningless. Baptism is not something that is to be done over and over again. And maybe you've gone through a period of sin in your life or you've entered a new church because that belies the meaning of, of, of baptism. Remember, baptism is a sign of union with Christ. 
God sees you even in your sinful moments through the lens of Christ. If we say you have to be baptized all over again because you've gone through maybe some months of, 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 of sinful patterns, then we've crushed the very foundation of what baptism is. We've belittled it. We've made it a molehill again. Baptism is not something that is to be done for any other reason because that would only serve to dilute and confuse the true meaning, the mountainous meaning. Because baptism is the sign uh, by which uh, God has appointed for us to be united to the person, work, and family of Jesus through faith and repentance. Far from being something small, baptism is this huge mountain because baptism is about the gospel. I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you here tonight need to be joined to Christ. You're not standing in Christ. You're not united to Christ. You're expecting God to kind of take you as you are on your own. And if that's you, you're, let's just be clear, you're naked and you're guilty and, and you're full of shame and, and God's wrath is against you. But if we embrace those things, if we cling to that which baptism signifies, the gospel, that we can be seen through the person and work of Jesus, that we can respond in faith and repentance, then there is hope. We can repent and believe and be baptized and be brought into a new family, a family where we're accepted and encouraged and taught. We can walk in the grace of a community where Christ is magnified. What about some of you that have already believed? Some of you that have already repented? Some of you that have already been baptized? You kind of know all this, so what's the point? Well, historically, the church has talked about something called improving our baptism. That doesn't mean that your baptism wasn't good when it was done or that it somehow needs to be recreated. And I think this is the value of of looking back into the church and connecting ourselves with the church because um, a lot of times we skip over what's so valuable. But uh, this idea of improving our baptism is, is simply this. It refers to continually drawing on the significance of what is displayed and signified in baptism. One of the historic confessions says this, The needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long and when we are present at the administration of baptism to others. How are we to do this? By serious and thankful consideration of the nature of baptism, of the ends for which Christ instituted baptism, the privileges and benefits conferred and sealed by baptism, and our solemn vows made in baptism. And at the same time, being humbled for our sinful defilement and falling short of and walking contrary to the grace of baptism. You see, for those of us who have already been baptized, as we watch somebody else been baptized, we're, we're, we're brought back to that experience and we see the grace of Christ anew for us in this day. And we're reminded of our failings to respond to the grace of Christ properly in the past, and we're set back in accord, in right mind, with the grace of God in Christ. 
You see, I think baptism is, is crucial and central to the church. It's not something that's insignificant. And the reason it's so important and so mountainous is because it encapsulates the gospel, the person of Jesus, our response to him, and our freedom and cleansing and forgiveness and new life that we have. May all of us cling to that tonight, some of us for the first time, some of us renewing that again. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for reaching out to us, for refusing to leave us in our sin, for refusing to leave us under guilt and condemnation by sending Christ Jesus and giving us new life. God, thank you for joining us to Christ Jesus by faith. God, I pray that we would not grow cold to that fact, that we would not be apathetic about what you have graciously earned for us, something we could never earn, something we could never deserve. God, may we be amazed by grace. And God, even as we talk about baptism, which, which sometimes we so diminish, may we, uh, may we just be awakened to the, the mountainous grandeur of your grace that is given to us, even in, in, a, in a moment like baptism. So God, for those um, here tonight who maybe are naked and, and unclothed by Christ, God, tonight by faith, clothe them in Christ Jesus. And God, renew in all of us a sense of appreciation for who he is. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.